Talking God with Uncle Luke. This week, stoned. Come on in, let's check it out. Luke, chapter 19, verse 28 to 44. All the bubbas of the world. We got one mission in mind. Welcome to the Biblical Channel. Always glad somebody is showing up because, well, seems to us that the world just needs to talk about God in a good way. So we're trying to get people from the bullshit to the holy shit to uh, actually shooting the shit. That's all our goal is. We're just the bubbas of the world, average ordinary people who need a good conversation starter, who need to read our Bibles, uh, say our prayers, and, you know, get together and talk God. That's that's really all God's after here. But getting these stories down straight, um, um, we're going to see that, man, these are great stories. These are This gives us something to talk about. This gives us something to think about. This gives us something to order our whole life around and and to just give God some praise. So anyhow, we just want to have fun talking God, um, and that's all we're doing. We want uh, people to pray the Lord's Prayer with gusto, like, you know, Father, yeah, man, I'm pumped up. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive. Lead us not into temptation. You know, that kind of stuff. Anywho, we've got a great passage coming up as Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. So uh, the passage uh, that we have for us uh, is, uh, you know, Uncle Luke, you know, chapter 19, verse 28 to 44. And Jesus made it very clear that he's heading towards Jerusalem. Uh, we also know that there is a lot of confusion as to what to expect when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. And a lot of these scenes are going to be all about the confusion ahead, but it gives us something to sit back and meditate on, have a good laugh over, um, so that we can actually talk straight about all of this stuff and not get it out of whack and to actually just, you know, enjoy ourselves, to enjoy our God who is in heaven. Hallowed be his name, all of that. So, so anyhow, the first line is, and when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So the stage is set. We're on our way to Jerusalem. We're almost there. Um, and the idea behind this passage is last week. If you didn't catch that, catch it. Uh, but anyhow, the king is here as Jesus, you know, is readily accepting the audiences, the disciples, you know, whoever. The, those who are concluding that the king is here are correct. He has baited them. He has lured them into this kind of thinking. It's exactly what he wants you to think. The king of the kingdom of God is here. The surprise that Jesus has let out of the bag is that the kingdom of God will not be coming immediately. And so he gave this great parable last week. We looked at that. Um, and, and in the last uh, video, we looked we looked at that um, and how, you know, we have to imagine instead how the king is going to go away to get his kingdom. But he is here. Uh, the kingdom of God itself is not going to be appearing immediately. And that is just beyond everybody's imagination. They're not tracking with why Jesus is going to die. They're not tracking with why he might rise again, how all of that is going to tie into him and his personhood. Okay, so we come to this scene. Uh, we're getting very close. We're out of uh, Jericho. We're, we're now, you know, at the Mount of Olives. And the scene goes like this. He drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount that is called Olivet or the Mount of Olives. Either way, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering, you're going to find a colt tied up, which nobody has ever sat on. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say this, the Lord has need of it. 
So those who were sent went away, found it just as he told them, and they were as they were untying the colt, the owners said, why untying the colt? And they said, well, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. There you go. Um, and then they threw their uh, cloaks on the colt, and Jesus sat on it. Okay, they are on the down ramp uh, from Jericho to um, to Jerusalem, from Mount Olive, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, up or down, I can't. I forget. I might have said that wrong. But the point is that this scene, you know, gives us a, a, a picture that Jesus is controlling the moves of his own story. So some people will see this scene as, as Jesus is demonstrating his foreknowledge, you know, his telepath, telepathy, his uh, Jedi skills, his Jedi mind tricks, you know, something like that. That's really not what's going on. It doesn't matter. The big point that Jesus is, is making here is that he is controlling and choreographing all of the moves in his story uh, up until this point and at this point. And so what Jesus is doing by pulling in this colt uh, or this young donk, uh, donkey even, um, it, what he's doing is, is he is making a clear picture that arises from the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament. Um, and this is Solomon's coronation. Um, Solomon's coronation was in the peacetime of Israel. His father, David, was the warring father, uh, the warring king. And uh, Solomon's, you know, entry, you know, to get his kingship into Jerusalem, mind you, was uh, uh, symbolized by him riding on this young colt, um, and it is definitely the time of peace. Solomon is is the peacetime king. Uh, he is not the wartime king. And so Jesus is signaling just that. First Kings chapter 1, where Solomon comes riding in on a donkey, is the image that Jesus is portraying, because we're not going to have David's coronation of war and, and really, David's whole life was that of a war, you know, really from the time he was that kid that, you know, slayed the, the giant Goliath um, until, you know, he received his kingship. It was all about war. It was all about bloodshed. David was, was uh, a warrior king. And, and uh, Solomon, not at all. Solomon had no um, uh, calluses on his hands. Solomon, you know, was wise. Solomon was peaceful. And so that's the, you know, we, we're not going to have a David-like war, you know, coronation of Jesus' kingship. Um, you know, David, you know, you know, sat in Hebron as the capital, and then he, and then he warly, you know, under war took over Jerusalem, which mind you was an existing city. The Israel did not create the city of Jerusalem. They battled for it. And David took it over. Um, anyhow, you know, it, you know, really, David's life in so many ways was was an utter shit show. Um, you know, on one hand, you know, he he was a great. He was mindful of God as his king, and you know, and he was very great. But but, man, so much of what he did was out of step with God, and that is his life, and that's the story we get in First and Second Samuel in the old part of the Bible. That's what we're meant to see. Um, that David was, you know, a mixed bag. Solomon, you know, um, was supposed to set off a whole new era for Israel, a time of peace. And then they messed that up too. 
Okay, but that's the scene that Jesus, that's the signal that Jesus is giving is that he is the king, but he is coming like Solomon in peacetime. So that's the image that he wants to portray. Of course, nobody's going to get it, but but we're told, you know, uh, this is what Jesus very specifically did. And then and then it happens, you know, Jesus gets onto this um, this colt, this this donkey, whatever it is, um, and he sets up, you know, on it, and they start laying down their cloaks like the red carpet in front of him, and we're off to the races. Jesus is the king. Yes, he is. He's accepting the kingship. He is the king. He wants the audience to understand that he sees himself as the king, and he will be making peace, not war. In fact, the only blood that will be shed in what's coming up is the blood of Jesus himself. There's no war coming up. There's no great battle coming up. Um, the, you know, Jesus will endorse no wars. There has never been a war that Jesus has endorsed. That's a whole different way of going back and looking at things. But that's not for us right now. For us right now, he rides along. They spread his cloak, spread cloaks on the road in front of him, and there, as they were drawing near, um, going down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitudes of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works um, that they had been seeing, and and they're and they're now recanting, and they're saying, "Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest." Okay, so this is a good picture. It's exactly where Jesus wants them. He does, what you know, and they seem to get part of the message that he's coming in peace. But we also know that the audience is probably expecting war and really wanting to see war. But that's not going to happen. The only blood that's going to be shed is Jesus. He's made that clear. That the, And we're also told that nobody gets it. So anyhow, we have a picture of the good-hearted who are misguided. Um, the good-hearted uh, are the audiences around Jesus, the disciples themselves. Everybody's pumped up. Everybody's fist-pumping. This is the moment the king and the kingdom of God are, are right now at hand. And Jesus has already told a story that don't be thinking that the kingdom of God is coming immediately, even though the king is here. And then the other group that emerges onto the scene are the Pharisees, and that's that you know kind of theme music of wah, wah, wah comes up. Um, kind of like uh, uh, every which way you can, every time those, if you remember um, Philo Beto and his ape, you know, and, and uh, every time those bikers would show up, it'd be like, wah, 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 wah. well, that kind of music enters the scene as the Pharisees show up and, and the Pharisees know what Jesus is signaling, that he is the king. And they are absolutely annoyed more now than ever. They want to destroy Jesus. They want it. They want to figure out how to get rid of him. Um, and they they scold Jesus and they they scold him and they they say, look, you know, they say, teacher, and also call him Lord. They say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Stop them from doing this nonsense. This is crazy talk. And Jesus said, he said, I tell you, if these uh, if they were silent, then the stones themselves would have to cry out. And so we have a picture of the fun sucking, fun sucking ignoramuses here. Uh, two groups of people around Jesus at this point, the good-hearted but misguided and the fun-sucking ignoramuses um, are both part of the uh, you know audience around Jesus. And Jesus, um, I think, brings up a very interesting perspective whenever he says, 
I think he's saying a lot uh, whenever he says, I tell you that if they were silent, then the stones would have to cry out. Because in the Bible itself, um, there has been a bit of a theme concerning stones. And I think it, even as the story works up into Jesus' life, there is something about stones that we should probably go back and turn the pages on and remember, if we never knew it, then we need to know it, um, because it just helps us to fill out the picture of God's story emerging as he wants it to emerge. If you went back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 49, verse 24, the quick skinny on the end of Genesis is, is that Jacob, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. They will be the 12 tribes of Israel. They're not yet in the book of Genesis. But Jacob pronounces a blessing, or curses, we'll say. Um, uh, but he pronounces promises onto each and every one of his sons. And when he gets to Joseph, you know, Joseph, the technicolor dream coat guy that becomes king of, you know, basically the first hand in, in Egypt and saves the day. But, but here's what, you know, Jacob says about Joseph and the future of Joseph. He says, basically, out of Joseph, um, the, the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. So Jacob's God, the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, Jacob says, um, will come a shepherd, a stone, the stone of Israel. Well, it's interesting because in the book of Luke, stones have come up a lot. And, and so I do think that gives us great opportunity to do some backpedaling on the Bible and, and ask questions like, huh, has stones ever come up? And I think it does. It does come up here that, that the story from Genesis 49 forward is a story of looking for a shepherd who will be a stone of Israel, the stone of Israel. Well, maybe that's confusing for you, but I think you get the picture. Jesus has been acting much like a shepherd, and Jesus sees himself as the rock of Israel, the stone of Israel, the cornerstone of Israel. He is the chief cornerstone of Israel. He is their rock. He is their foundation. He is everything, and so he is the stone of Israel. If we fast-forwarded in Israel's history, we'd, we would find prophets who lament and weep over Israel's condition because they cannot seemingly obey God, and they keep getting themselves in trouble, and God keeps pronouncing to the prophets, you better tell them that trouble is ahead. And a lot of these prophets are always on their face, weeping be you know, before God and weeping before the people, saying, you have got to pull your head out of your butts. But we have the prophet uh, Habakkuk uh, in chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, who also says something about stones. And he says, from God's, you know, from God's lips to our ears, he says, for the stone will cry out from the wall, woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see that juxtaposition and tension of Israel's city, which their primary city is Jerusalem. And basically, this is a woe that is being pronounced onto Jerusalem, that their days are numbered, says the prophet Habakkuk, who is wondering why all of this iniquity just keeps going on and on and on. Uh, but anyhow, you know, uh, Habakkuk's words, you know, are, are a stone will cry out from the wall. 
Well, it's interesting, right? Because Jesus says, you know, hey, man, if the if the if my disciples aren't aren't uh, praising, I'm not going to stop them because then then the stones will cry out. <laughs> God will get His praises, even if it's got to be the stones. So don't let that happen. That's kind of the nature of the promise. But but this, you know, the idea here that Habakkuk brings up is that Jerusalem is in trouble. They're about ready to be sacked as a city, and we know that historically that's what's going to happen. They're going to be sacked by the Babylonians. Um, and it does happen. And that we also see the goal and the ambition of God behind it. He says, but mind you, I am not going to let this iniquity happen. I'm going to let Israel be judged. I am, you know, the stones are going to cry out against Israel is basically what the message is. But God promises that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Okay, so that's also a stone reference. And then we fast forward into Luke's gospel and, and Jesus, you know, comes, you know, we, we meet up with John who is pointing everybody to Jesus. And John actually says to the audience, he says, be fruitful, keeping up with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourself that you're a child of Abraham, for I tell you, God is able to raise these stones to be children of Abraham. So, the message is, is don't be thinking that just because you're Israel, just because you're the chosen people of God, that you've got it all and you have nothing to worry about. No, you need to bear fruit in keeping with the repentance, baby, uh, because the, the, you know, the time is now. The time is now. And, and, and don't be, don't be saying, don't brag to yourself saying, oh, I'm, I've, I've got Abraham's blood in me. That ain't going to cut it. Abraham was a man of faith. And, and we learn that throughout the pages of the Bible. Abraham is a man of faith, and we are children of Abraham when we are people of faith. Our trust is in God, just like Abraham's is. So, it's, you know, basically the message of John was, don't let these stones, you know, take your place. And Jesus seems to be endorsing John's ministry through this quote as well. So Jesus is endorsing Habakkuk. Jesus is endorsing Jacob's words to, uh, you know, through jo Joseph in the book of Genesis um, and then there's this awkward encounter with the devil. The devil also, you know, throws up the ideas of stones. He tells Jesus to make this bread into stones. And Jesus is like, no, I don't take my orders from you. And then, you know, the, the devil also says, well, throw yourself down on those stones and the angels will keep you from hitting your, your feet on those stones. And Jesus once again says, no. And then we get to G, uh, Luke chapter 13, which we already covered, and you can go back and check this out, where Jesus says, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Everybody that God sends to Jerusalem, Jerusalem seems to stone. Um, and, and he says, How often would I have gathered your children as a hen? Uh, so Jesus portrays himself as a mother hen. Um, under her wings, and he also portrays himself as God, and God's history of, of lamenting and weeping over Israel's sad state of affairs that they cannot follow God's directions. You know, it kind of reminds me of that Bob Dylan song, Everybody Must Get Stoned. If you really listen to those lyrics, it's not about smoking marijuana. It's, they're, they're really good lyrics, and you really have to kind of think about it. But as Jesus drops in this idea that, hey, I'm not going to tell him to stop praising God for me, uh, because then the stones will have to cry out. I think you, I think you add into the meaning of it by going back and seeing these references to stones. Okay, hold that thought. Let's go back to the the story um, as as it's uh, unfolding here. Whoops. Let's uh, let me get back here. So now 
um, as they are, are, are uh, nearing the city, Jesus catches a glimpse of the city and he actually breaks down in tears. He breaks down in tears and he weeps. Um, this is not just like a little tear came to his eyes, like the Cherokee looking over the junk, you know, uh, uh, back in the seventies in that, in that, you know, looking over the, the garbage that we put on the earth. That, that's not it. Jesus is actually weeping like a prophet. He is sobbing. He is sad. He is genuinely distressed over the condition of Jerusalem. Um, and he knows what's ahead. He knows that the king is him, and he knows he's going to be rejected, and he knows that that has consequences. And so when he draws near and saw the city, he wept over it, and he said, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and, and hem you in on every side, and your children within it will be destroyed. It's actually going to happen. But Jesus sees the consequences of a rebellious city called Jerusalem. You know, that nothing has really changed from the old days. They are going to reject the king. They have absolutely no ability to see what's actually going on in front of them, that the king is actually here. And they say, um, uh, and, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So once again, Jesus returns to this, which also, you know, kind of going back to that, um, going back to when Jesus previously, you know, whether it was months or a year before or whatever, maybe many times said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent, you know, Jesus knows the history of Israel. And, and this, this picture of destruction that is ahead for Jerusalem is, is once again deja vu all over again. Israel had gotten themselves in a place where they were, you know, Babylon had sacked them, and they were sitting, you know, they were being deported to Babylon. And along the road, Psalm 137 gather, gathers up their, their cry that they are sitting, you know, by the side of the road as they're heading to uh, Babylon and the Babylonians are making fun of them saying, oh, sing, your, sing us those songs that you sing about your God. And, and it's a very, very sad psalm. It's a very short psalm, thank goodness, but it's sad and it's very, you know, depictive of the destruction that has happened. And as Jesus gives these words, it, it gives us that here we are again. Here Israel is again. Here Jerusalem is again in a sad state of affairs, uh, not recognizing God when he turns up. And so, you know, Jerusalem's precarious place in Israel's story is at the forefront. And it's really interesting if you go back and read, you know, like First and Second Samuel and then First Kings, you know, how David, you know, did you know, sack the city of Jerusalem to make it his headquarters, you are right to wonder if this city was really ever God's idea. Um, seemed more like it was David's idea. The temple itself seemed more like God's idea than, uh, or David's idea than God's idea. God told David through the prophet Nathan that I'm, I'm very happy in my tent, mind you. Um, so in some ways, we could almost see that this uh, forced capital of Israel called Jerusalem, which God will use. He will use it. But it does remind us how Genesis ends, you know, through the lips of Joseph. 
with this idea that God uses our evils for his own good purposes. He will take evils that we mean, and he will use them for his own good purposes. And Jerusalem seems to fit into that bill. Jerusalem will fit into God's irony-laden story of uh, that, that always has its twists and turns that we could never imagine, especially as they work their way to the person of Jesus Christ who is going to die and rise again. We still have trouble wrapping our minds around the way that God actually works in history. Well, anyhow, God does use our evils for his good, and Jerusalem is at the center of the story in all of its irony. Um, they're going to the very city of God, supposedly, the city of David, is going to reject the son of David, uh, who God had promised, who God had promised as a shepherd, um, they're going to end up rejecting him. It's a very sad ending, and Jesus sees it, and that's why he's crying, and that's why he's sobbing and weeping, because humanity itself is a sad story. Well, anyhow, Jesus will break God out of Jerusalem. Yes, uh, indeed, the, the story ahead is Jesus dying on a cross and rising, just like he said. And in the meantime, Jesus, what he sees here is, is going to, it's going to happen. He sees Israel's destruction. He sees Jerusalem's destruction ahead. That's going to happen um, at the hands of the Romans this time. The Romans are going to get absolutely sick and tired of Israel's Messiah is raising up against, you know, Rome, and they're going to finally kick them out of the city, and they're going to razor the temple to the ground. And they're going to indeed violate the citizens of Jerusalem, the Jews. They're going to destroy them, just like Jesus said. History, the history books tell us that. We don't need the Bible to tell us that. The history books tell us that the Jews are going to be kicked out of Jerusalem once and for all. What's going on today? Oh, uh, I, I, I guess I, I'll, I'll pause on that. But let me say this. Let me say this. Humanity always says that it wants God to turn up. It always wants God to be present. And the story of Jesus and the whole story of God in the Bible is that he does turn up. But every time he turns up, he doesn't turn up in our expectations because he's better than us. And we just want more of our same old silly stuff. And because we want our same old silly stuff, we completely miss what God is doing. Jesus is going to break God out of Jerusalem once and for all. It was never God's intention to be in Jerusalem, you know, or confined to Jerusalem. And God never was confined to Jerusalem. And everybody is still trying to put God in Jerusalem and keep God in Jerusalem. And that's what I'll say about even today. It seems like today everybody still wants God to be in Jerusalem. When in fact Jesus already broke God out of Jerusalem. When Jesus died and rose again and he said, go into the nations, go into the rest of the world. That was God's intent from the very beginning. If we kind of remember back to, you know, that, that, um, that, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry. When Habakkuk, you know, said that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters covers the sea. That is God's will. That is the will of God. Quit saying anything else is the will of God. The will of God 
is to fill the earth with the knowledge of him. Not to fill Jerusalem with the knowledge of him, but to fill the earth with the knowledge of him. That's always been God's good pleasure. And God's the one who's, who's, who's making peace. It's us who are making war. There's no war that's been justified in Jesus' name. That, that's not a true thing. That's not a real thing. No, no, no. Jesus made war just with himself. He allowed him to be himself to be the only blood that was shed in order to actually cover the earth with the glory of the Lord. And it is great news that every country of the world has somebody in it that knows the glory of the Lord. There are Christians in every corner of the globe at this point with the message of the gospel. Go Christians. Go Jesus. Go God. And so this is where Jesus is. In the sadness and the reality of human beings always missing the point of God turning up. When God turns up, it's never how human beings want him to turn up. But God does turn up for the sake of human beings, to rescue them, to save them. And that's what Jesus has been talking about all along. And it is a heartbreaking story, but it's actually one of great joy as well. Well, give it a good think. Meditate it on it at, uh, or something like that. David used to meditate on the law day and night, and we should too. Okay, catch you next time. Hey.